I want to extend my warm welcome to everyone here today. Again, there is a lot that we can commit ourselves to, but the study and application of God's word is huge for us as God's people. So thank you for making it a priority of your weekend. Let me pray as we open our time here for Genesis 3. Father, would you open our eyes to the truth that you have for us in your word? May you be exalted. May we be humbled. May you create a spirit of holiness among us. We trust that you will do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a great God that we have. He is a God who is constant. And as we have just learned, we are like God, made in his image, and yet we are so different from God in that we change all the time. He is constant, but we are not. We change opinions, we change online passwords, we change addresses, we change diapers. We are always changing, and some days see more change than others. Sometimes even a few words can change the trajectory of our futures. You're fired. That's cancer. You're pregnant. It's twins. <laughs> These things can change it, can change our future, the whole of our future, like that, in an instant. And the same happens among relationships. Marriages start, marriages end. People move, they move away, they move in. People die, people are born. And all of these relationships, these changes of relationships, change our futures forever. They're big changes, and they can happen really fast. And that's what we're going to see in Genesis 3. We're going to see a relationship change like that. This happens in a moment when Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. The relationship with God is forever changed. And as their descendants, us in this room, as, as their descendants, our relationship changes when we don't follow God's command. Their perfect, beautiful relationship that we just heard about in Genesis 1 and 2, that they once enjoyed is lost. Creature, creator, living in harmony, now gone. That's the main point of Genesis 3. Our relationship with God is forever changed when we rebel against him. Our relationship with God is forever changed when we rebel against him. This is a dramatic change from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis 3. It's a complete turnaround. In fact, it's so complete of a turnaround that every single chapter and book after Genesis 3 of the whole Bible is all about trying to turn the relationship back to what it was in Genesis 1 and 2. And it happened like that. So as we look at this story today, I have some questions for us to guide our time. I have four questions that I want us to consider. It follows our main idea that our relationship with God is forever changed when we rebel. So the first question that we have to answer then is, well, what is our relationship supposed to be? 
If it's forever changed, well, well, what is it supposed to be like? Question number two, how did we rebel against him? What is it exactly that happened? Number three, how does that rebellion then change our relationship forever? How, how is it forever change? And then lastly, what hope is there for us? My word, our rebellion causes this deep rift between us and God. Is there any hope? What hope is there for us? So let's start with the first question. What is our relationship with God supposed to be? And much of this question has already been answered in Genesis 1 and 2. We find the perfect relationship between God and man in that text. We relate to God as our creator. He relates to us as his creatures. He made us, so we worship and we glorify him. We relate to him as being like him. We're made in his image. We are not God, but we are like God. We relate to God as providing everything we need. Everything from food to relationships with other people. We are dependent on God and we thank him for his provision. This is the perfect relationship that we share with our creator. And we relate to him by obeying his commands. And he's given us a couple. We see several in one verse, Genesis 1.28, if you want to flip in your Bible to the very first page. Genesis 1.28, we have several right in a row. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's a command for us that we must obey. And we have another command, one that we probably are fairly familiar with. That comes in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says there, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you will surely die. That's our command. That's Adam and Eve's command. And that command was given to show our obedience. He's ruler, and we obey him, respecting him as ruler. We recognize him as ruler by doing what he says, by not eating from the fruit of this one tree. This is a wonderful relationship. This is the perfect relationship, God and man relating to one another in harmony perfectly. He made us. He provides for us. He loves us. We worship him. We depend on him. We love him. But our relationship changed, and it changed the moment we rebelled. And that's our second question. How did we rebel? How did we rebel against God? And note that I'm asking, how did we rebel? Well, this story is about Adam and Eve, right? It's not, my name's not in there. But as their descendants, we are folded in to their sin. Later in the New Testament, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
So this is a story, a story that includes us. So we can rightly ask, how did we rebel against God? Well, we see the rebellion start there in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What we notice right off the bat is that we're not alone. Right? There's this crafty serpent in the picture. This crafty serpent is none other than Satan himself. The book of Revelation talks about that ancient serpent, the devil, who was also called Satan. Satan is the instigator of sin. That's what this text shows us. He is creating doubt about whether or not God is good. Is God trustworthy? Did he actually say that? Are you sure? Did he actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Hopefully we know this is ridiculous. God didn't say you can't eat any tree. He said you can eat from all trees but one. There's only one. Of course, the crafty serpent wants to blow it up. The woman knows this. She is a good Bible student. She, she is a good student of God's word. She, she knows, and she responds in kind, saying, yes, we may eat from the trees, crafty little serpent. There's only one tree that we can't eat from, and she even adds the consequence, lest we die. So she knows. We, we can't eat up just this one tree because we might die. So Satan does what Satan does best, And he deceives the woman. What does he say in verse 4? Actually, just think about this. He's going to mix the truth with a lie. Let's see what he does. Towards the end there, verse 4, he says, You will not surely die. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you hear the lie mixed with the truth? You have, you have the lie of, you won't surely die. When God said, chapter 2, verse 17, you shall surely die. And we know the curse is death, and that actually happens. So we know that's a, he's lying. But he also mixes in some truth. Verse 5 is he's actually right on. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened. And you're going to know good and evil. That's true. That, that actually happened. We'll see that at the very end of the passage, that their eyes were open and they knew good and evil. He's mixing truth with lies. And if he can hook us with just a little bit of that truth, then he's got us. He wants to say God is not trustworthy. He is so cheeky. God may have said that the consequence is death. But it's not really. He's only threatening you. He he doesn't want you to be like him. And of course, we're made in his image, so we know we're like him, so why can't we have all of him? Why why can't we be him? We, We want to be him. It's not enough for us to be made in his likeness. We want to actually be God. 
We don't want to be the pinnacle of creation. We want to be the creator of what we can do. This is what's happening here. It's not just a measly eating some fruit that looks good. This is a complete reversal of how we relate to God. We click quickly spiral into a proud state. We change the order of creation. We want to humble God and exalt ourselves. This is pride. This is unbelief in who God is. This is self-exaltation. This is want of independence. Sin is simply not making poor moral decisions. It stems from something much deeper within us. Friends, we need to be aware of the devil's cunning schemes. We need to be aware of the weaknesses where he's tempting us. By knowing these weaknesses, we can ask God to help us. My word, Lord, help me to not give in to the devil's truth lies where he's mixing the two. We resist the devil by remaining firm in our faith. But that didn't happen here. And the, re- the effects of the rebellion are immediate. Right away, both the woman and the man who was with her, it says in verse 6. So it wasn't just the woman who ate. The man was with her and he ate too. Right away, they feel the effects of their sin. It's immediate shame and fear. They cover up and they hide. And by God's grace, this is the right reaction to sin. We should feel shame for not regarding God for who he is. They know the shame of their nakedness. Chapter 2 ended with the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. But now it's very different. Chapter 3, verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And then as the Lord God pursues them in the garden, Adam hides, and he says in verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. I mean, this is the one who he was in the perfect relationship, and now he's hiding from him. And then what follows shame and fear is blame and finger-pointing. I mean, Adam ate that fruit, but what did he say? The woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate. He's not pointing at himself. He's pointing at the woman, and my word, he's pointing at the creator. The woman does the same thing. She can't point fingers at herself or God, so it's the serpent. The serpent deceived me. Blame him, not me. But she ate. So quickly the effects of sin are brought out. Where a man was once in harmony with his creator, now he's just blaming him. It's your fault, God. We really want to sustain our self-exalted position. We want to reason our sin. Our relationship with God has been turned upside down. The bond has been severed, and as we continue to sin, it continues to be severed. Our relationship is broken forever. Sin entered the world, and forever 
the relationship is broken. And that brings us to our third question. So then how is our relationship changed forever? We know what our relationship is supposed to be like. We know it's supposed to be perfect. We see how we have rebelled. So what is it like now? Forever, what our, our life will, we will have to endure. We see the curses there, starting in verse 14, the curses that follow to the end of the chapter. He curses first the serpent. He is cursed above all animals. He will be crushed under the offspring of the woman. That's what it says in verse 15. Her offspring shall bruise the serpent's head. And we're going to get to the significance of the woman's offspring in a moment. But know this, the author of lies, the deceiver of the world, the instigator of sin will be crushed for what he has done in deceiving his pinnacle of creation. He will be crushed. That is his punishment. There will be a time when he has no more power to deceive. That time is coming. But God moves next to the woman. The two main areas of her life that are affected by her rebellion are childbearing and the relationship with her husband, her role as a wife. Now, does this mean that if we are not married and don't have kids, we, got, we skipped out on the curse, so we're not cursed? Or worse... Because we're not mentioned, does that mean that we're doubly cursed? Because we couldn't even get a word from God. No, neither are true. These two things are simply here to show this is two roles that are very distinctive to women, and to this woman in particular, Eve, right? They're meant to be this representation of women in that day. So for women, God curses childbearing. It will be painful. Even the raising of children, once they come out, that's still painful. She curse, he, he curses her, her marriage, the relationship with her husband. We will struggle for authority with our husbands. Where there, were one, there was once order In the marriage relationship, now there will be a desire to domineer and a desire to rule one another. It's a picture of control, right? This self-exaltation. Same thing we're trying to do with God, we're trying to do with our husband. Do we see how our distorted relationship vertically distorts our relationships horizontally? And we see this go way beyond just marriage relationships, right? Then God turns to the man. Curses keep coming. Everyone everywhere experiences the result of man's rebellion. The ground is cursed. Everything is cursed to make our work difficult. It says in verse 18, among thistles and thorns, (laughs) we will be working. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face, we will work to earn a living. There's going to be disappointments and setbacks and to-do lists that never end. (laughs) People will get in our way. Work is hard. And God ends his word to Adam with this. And it's the final 
word, the final curse, at the end of 19, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, I made you from the ground, and you're going back in it when you die. Because you shall surely die if you eat from the fruit of the tree that I told you not to. This is the promised judgment. But death means more than just returning to the ground. Death means ultimate, infinite, eternal separation from God. That's why in verse 23, God sent him out from the garden. Sent him out from his presence. Verse 24, even more strongly, he drove out the man. And then he put these two angels in place so that man couldn't get back into the garden to the presence of God. Death stinks, but separation from God, (laughs) based on what we've learned in Genesis 1 and 2, for Adam and Eve, this must have been the worst thing that could ever imagine they could ever imagine where there once was the presence of god there is now banishment where there is once harmony there is now separation where there were, there was once life there is now death that's how our relationship is changed forever that's the effect of sin so we're we're left with this final question what hope is there what hope is there from this we've turned it around what hope can we have well there is great hope there is great hope but know that the story of genesis 3 is meant to make us feel the weight and disaster of our sin. It is meant to make us long for the grace to repair the brokenness of what we've created. It is meant for us to hear from God so that we would long for this grace and hope that can come only from Him because we have messed it up. He wants us to feel weighed down. So that we can see the glimpses of grace and say we want that. We need that. We need grace. And throughout the story, even though it sounds and is disastrous, we see God's grace in the pursuit of the people right after they sin. He goes looking for them. That's God's grace. He didn't have to look for them. We see God's grace in the man and woman feeling shame for what they've done. If they didn't feel shame, they wouldn't know they needed to be reconciled. We see God's grace even in the pain that's caused in our relationships and in our work because we wouldn't long for something better. We see God's grace in clothing his people when they were ashamed of their nakedness. They tried to put leaves together to cover themselves. But verse 21 says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. That's that's God's grace. We see God's grace in death. Otherwise, we would live forever knowing evil, forever in this fallen state. And we see God's grace most in the crushing of the evil one. I promise we'd come back to that. Verse 15 God says to Satan, 
I will put en enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God will go after the instigator. Did you catch that? It's not us. God will go after the instigator. He's already said it in Genesis 3, in the very beginning. God will go after Satan. God will go after Satan with the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Mary, the very son of God, Jesus Christ. That's who this is. He will bruise the head of Satan, and it's going to be a fatal blow. This is a fatal blow to the devil. Satan will attempt to hurt Jesus, but he's only going to clip his heel. It's only going to be the heel that's clipped because after three days, Jesus will rise from the grave. God crushes the one who tried to crush us. This is our great hope. Because in the death of Jesus Christ, the very thing that separates from God, our rebellion, our sin, in Jesus Christ, our sins are completely wiped away, completely forgiven. Our punishment for sin is death, but in Jesus' death, he takes that place for us. We deserve that death, but he took it. He bore the cross so that we don't have to. He bore the penalty of sin so that we don't have to. He was separated from God in his death so that we don't have to be separated. This is good news for all people. For anyone that repents of their sin and believes for Jesus to be the one to save them. They will be reconciled to their God. This is incredible grace to us. What hope is there for us? Tremendous hope. That it, it, it is very true that our relationship with God is forever changed because we rebelled against him. But our relationship with God is forever changed when Jesus Christ reconciles us to him. For those of us who have never turned to Jesus, this is your invitation. You're feeling the weight of your sin. Jesus hangs on the cross to take that weight off. Come to a perfect relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And for all of us, in our sad stories, in our sad stories of sin that I know we feel, we rightly feel the sin. We rightly look to the cross. We rightly look to the Savior who takes it and removes it to make us reconciled with God so we're not separated. But we get to live and, and look forward to the day when we are back in that garden, when we are back in Revelation with the tree of life, when we are back with our Creator. We will trust Him to do that for us. Let's pray. Father, would you help us see the glory of your cross? What a gift it is in our fallen state. Thank you for saving us, for redeeming us, for reconciling us. You are our creator and our redeemer. And we worship you and exalt you because of it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us to worship. Thank you.